Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on the NSN app. And I'm pleased to welcome to the show Ari Harrow, a political uh, expert, pundit, and uh, Israeli government uh, veteran, as well as veteran of many other uh, campaigns around the world. Uh, We're going to preview, profile the Israel elections coming not too soon. I mean, politics never stops. There's always something to talk about, and particularly of interest to our audience is the I'd say biannual, maybe even triannual uh, Israeli election season that we have coming up on the 23rd of March uh, in between Purim and Pesach. Uh, just as uh, Israel makes its Pesach preparations, they have to vote once again. So Ari, welcome to Spin Class. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here and great to speak to you again. Okay, great. So I, I actually I should start off. Um, we've it's probably the longest that we haven't seen each other in quite some time, and obviously that's because of COVID. And I, I've been unable to travel to Israel for a year already, which I'm really having some serious uh, serious withdrawal from. But uh, Israel right now, I mean, I don't know, doing well, not doing well. Let's take two seconds before we get to politics to talk about uh, vaccination nation as it as it were right now. Um, what's going on in Israel as far as COVID, lockdowns, and the incredible progress they've made with regard to vaccination? Yeah, so we just came out of uh, extended lockdown uh, just a few days ago, um, and stores have started to open, albeit um, in limited fashion. There's a limited number of people that can come in and out. The schools have started to reopen uh, for most students. There are, um, I guess, uh, a, a, a section of the, the schooling system, 7th through 10th grade, that they have yet to return to, to the classes. But the rest of the country is on their way towards, um, let's call it, the, the new normal. Um, the airports are still shut, uh, which is not very, uh, you know, it's not very fun. But um, we're we're headed in the right direction. The numbers have uh, fallen dramatically over the last few days. Uh, the vac- number of vaccinated uh, citizens in Israel has crossed the four million mark, which is significant. Um, incredible. And it's incredible. It really is incredible. And it ties into the political um, reality that we're in. And it's something obviously we can talk about beyond uh, the, the, the medical side. Uh, but this is definitely a tremendous achievement seeing how many people uh, have crossed that threshold and are one step closer to hopefully having this terrible uh, pandemic behind them. So, I mean, it's quite logistically. I mean, you've served at the highest levels of Israeli government, and uh, you know, background former chief of staff to the prime minister. I mean, you have you, you've really seen the way Israeli government uh, can work. Uh, my theory is, I, I mean, we have so many layers of government here in the United States. It's unwieldy when it comes to doing things. You've got to have the cooperation and track of a million different entities and parties in order to, you know, hand off give vaccines to local and state etc. I mean, I guess Israel has it easy, right? They just have a mandate from the top, go ahead and do it and it gets done. Is that is it as easy as that? Well, I, I think that there's a number of things that played into the success of uh, Israel's vaccine drive. Number one is exactly what you're saying. One thing that I learned from the prime minister in the years that I worked with him was that when you want to make a decision, you bring all the all the relevant bodies into one room 
so that there's no miscommunication, there's no misunderstanding, there's no red tape, there's no bureaucracy, and you, you decide right then and there. And that's the way he's handled this situation. Um, every major decision that's come along the way vis-a-vis uh, -vis COVID, he's had, the he's had the defense minister, who is the uh, alternate prime minister as well, in the room with him, together with the minister of health, Yuli Edelstein, and the other relevant uh, decision makers. And right then and there, they will make a decision. Um, they will then bring it to the cabinet for approval, and out you go. Uh, so there's no question that streamlining the decision process is, has definitely played into Israel's favor. Uh, the other thing really is the healthcare system, the Kupat Cholim system, which um, you know is foreign to most Americans as far as you know what is termed socialized medicine. The fact that there is an active clinic in every single town, every city, every neighborhood in the country allows the distribution um, to take place in a much more efficient manner uh, because it's there and ready to go. Um, you know, on that note, I'll just tell you very, very briefly that years ago, Netanyahu was approached um, by a slew of people saying that he has to take a serious look at the healthcare system uh, because it needs reforming here in Israel, similar to what he did with the finance ministry when he was finance minister. And at one point, he actually came out with a plan for Israel's education system as well, where he presented um, uh, a, a plan to reform the system. He spent about a month and a half studying the healthcare system in Israel and looking at the best systems around the world. And his his uh, his response at the end to these, these same people was that Israel's healthcare system is the best in the world. And therefore, obviously, there's improvements that need to be made, but uh, but nothing nothing drastic. Well, I, I think it's nothing short of uh, incredible uh, and a great model for the for the entire world. I mean, it, there's nobody close. I mean, maybe Great Britain right now is kind of approaching the levels of, of distribution. But I mean, I'll tell you, somebody who's uh, not just involved in in healthcare as a uh, and the vaccination effort, but also a local official um, in you know here in New York. I mean, it's the vaccine rollout is just it's just unbelievable how. Uh, how spotty it is and the, the you know, inconsistent it is across different levels in the United States. And I think we're all jealous of, of what's going on in Israel. So many people want the vaccine. Some people hear, um, I mean, you see when they open up appointments, I mean, they're gone within 30 seconds, a minute. I mean, the right. lines, it's, it's quite, it's nothing short of a, another miracle that, that, uh, that Israel has. So I'm going to throw the flip side there is what is Israel doing having another, Election. I mean, I know it's good for us to talk about, and it's good fodder. But what the heck is going on, my friend? It is insanity, um, especially you know to uh, the, the famous quote that is attributed to Einstein, where uh, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. And this is going to be—I've uh, lost track—the fourth election in the last two years. Um, so to expect—I mean, this is approaching uh, Italy. <laughs> yes. No, it, it is completely insane. And unfortunately, the country is is at a deadlock. Um, and it basically comes down to it does not come down to ideology. It does not come down to politics of left and right. It comes down to pro Netanyahu versus anti Netanyahu. And that's really the great divide. Um, uh, a microcosm of that is the new party that uh, has 
risen out of this election, uh, Tikva Hadasha, the New Hope, uh, headed by Gidon Saar and, and Zev Elkin, two significant players in the Likud par party for many, many years who broke away to start their own party. And their message at launching the party was not, we have a different agenda or we have different beliefs, but it was, it's time to get rid of Netanyahu. So in essence, what they do, did is they jumped into the anti-Netanyahu camp. Um, and that's really the divide that Israel's found itself in over the last few years. Um, and that's what's drawn us into the fourth election. So we're laying the whole thing at the feet of uh, of Gidon Sar essentially, who challenged Bibi for the Likud leadership, lost pretty badly, I should say, uh, now has broken away. I mean, I guess I'll give you my view from over here. I mean, his sure. kind of launch and his entire effort has been a little bit underwhelming uh, from my perspective. And now he also has the Lincoln Project working for him. Now he might have to go ahead and disavow him. But let, let's, I guess, give the public a little bit, or uh, the listeners a little bit of background there, right? He he was a uh, he was a Netanyahu ally for many years. Then he decided to challenge him in a primary, lost one of the last election, became a little disaffected, tried to get a whole bunch of Likud stalwarts and others to join him in his new party, got one or two. Um, at, at, but really, I mean, is he a threat in a sense to, to Bibi? To... Well, there definitely is a threat. Uh, let, let me just firstly take a step back and, and say I would not put the blame for this election on, on, at, at Gidon Sar's feet, and I'll get, I'll get back to him in a moment. It really was the inability of the Likud and Netanyahu and Benny Gantz and, and Blue and White to coexist. Um, although there was an effort made, and I, I was a big proponent of that effort, um, just because I felt that, um, as many Israelis do, um, we seek unity here in the country. It's always been something that, uh, no matter what your politics are, uh, there is uh, an overwhelming sense that we want to get along. Um, and I think that there was, there, there was a true effort initially um, but the, uh, the the gaps between um, the Likud and Blue and White when it came to issues uh, such as the judi judicial system and such as um, uh, dealings with the United States and, and, and others uh, were just too great to overcome. And, and that sort of, uh, it just brought to a collapse of, of the current government. Um, as far as Gidon Saar goes, um, yes, I, I think that um, it does change the rules of the game somewhat. Um, he is polling currently around 15 seats, which is not a small number. It puts him, uh, brings him in as the third largest party in Israel. Um, and the fact that his party is um, very clearly to the right of the map uh, is significant, meaning this isn't a party that is trying to um, garner votes from both sides. This is a party that is very clearly on the right um, and that is something that potentially could uh, tear votes away from Netanyahu. The other thing that Netanyahu has to be wary of is when you look at Gidon Sar and, as I mentioned earlier, Zev Elkin, these are the two most seasoned political um, uh, operators um, uh, that the Knesset has seen. Um, when you talk about coalition governments, uh, those two individuals, mostly Zev Elkin, but Gidon Saar as well in the earlier years, are the people who manage the coalition talks for the Likud and for Netanyahu um, for the last 13 years. Um, that puts them in a much more uh, educated position when it comes to maneuvering the day after. 
And one of the elements that Netanyahu is going to have to take into consideration is that Zev Elkin was his point person, not only to the Russian parties and the Russian voters, um, but also to the Haredi uh, parties, uh, the, the, the point person for the Likud in dealing with the Haredim, with the ultra-Orthodox, was Zev Elkin. And I think that that's something that Bibi is going to sorely miss the day after elections when he tries to form a government. Okay, this is Spin Class. Uh, we're talking to Ari Harrow, the uh, former chief of staff for the prime minister of Israel, uh, Likudnik, uh, expert in Israeli politics. I'm sorry, I don't know. I, Likudnik, I threw in there just as a heritage type of thing. Uh, yeah, that has different connotations these days. But but let me but let me ask you. Okay, we have. I mean, we know a lot of people on out there know what the Knesset looks like. Well, there are 39 parties running. Um, I mean, I don't know how many of them have a chance, you know, let's say 10 uh, have a chance of getting in, maybe even less. There's been there's been consolidation. But, you know, we kind of know, right, though, the, how to get to 61, right? I mean, you have in order to do that, you have to BB is going to have to convince people on the right to join him. Uh, I mean, let's just there's so many combinations. I mean, that's the amazing part. Uh, but you know, maybe you could just give a rundown, Ari, um, of the personalities. Okay, so Benny Gantz, he's kind of, I think he's faded. I will put, put we'll, we'll, you, you can give the 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 skinny on him. Okay, you have Yair Lapid, Naftali Bennett, um, Gidon Sar. I mean, where did this everybody fit? Uh, Victor Lieberman was the guy who yeah. kind of prevented a government from happening. Last time around, or two times around to go. I mean, whenever, whenever it is. So you have a lot of you have a lot of different personalities at the head of these little parties, um, and there's also been a fracturing of the joint list, the Arab list, which could may have been a a big player in forming a coalition. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've said this before when we've when we've talked about Israeli elections on this show. There's the election. And then there's the post-election, which is actually the real election. I think you've alluded to it as far as the coalition building of that. And a lot of that is based on these personalities. And some of these people have said, we will not support BB in the government. Some, you know, that. So some of that will come to play as far as cobbling together that 61. So can you run through it for us? Sure. You know what? I'm going to start with the most uh, intriguing and most important uh, player uh, amongst the others, uh, and that is Naftali Bennett. Uh, many of the pundits will tell you today that the kingmaker in this election is going to be Naftali Bennett. And the reason is very simple. As I mentioned before, uh, the political uh, landscape in Israel has been divided into two, the pro-BB camp and the anti-BB camp. There currently is only one party and one leader that has yet to uh, publicly reveal where he's going to go, or rather is open to speaking to both sides, and that is Naftali Bennett. And when you look at the numbers based on all the polling that, that uh, is out there today, or at the numbers that we've seen over the last couple years, uh, the divide is very clear. And Naftali Bennett um, can very easily use that position to leverage his own uh, results and find himself in a very significant and influential uh, uh, ministry come the day after these elections. Even if he ends up uh, number four or five as far as the size of his party, um, he very well could be the next defense minister. And in some scenarios, he can even become the prime minister just because of 
the positioning that he's uh, created for himself. Naftali Bennett obviously is the head of the Amina party, um, which uh, at the last minute actually did merge with what was formerly known as the National Religious Party, the Mafdal, uh, then became the Baita UD. So they're running under one umbrella today. Uh, it is not necessarily um, uh, an Orthodox party, but the vast majority of their Knesset members are, uh, you know, Bnei Akiva, modern Orthodox. Um, so that party and that individual are, I would say, are the most is the most significant. Uh, we talked about Gidon Sar and and uh, and his party uh, earlier. Uh, Yair Lapid and Yesh Atid um, are uh, currently polling as the number two party, and they've been gaining traction over the last few weeks. And I assume that they're going to continue to get, gain traction. They will head uh, what was once called, you know, the left wing uh, side of the map. Um, as I mentioned, it's it's a little less relevant today. Uh, whether you're left or right, and what's more relevant is where you stand on the BB issue. And the fact that they are at 18 or 19 seats is great, but that may not mean that much uh, when it comes to deciding, you know, who heads the country. So, okay, so one thing we did not get to, and I think that the uh, the fault lines within society have come, become very pronounced with regard to COVID is the Haredi parties who stand as a as a significant block being Shas and uh, Gimel United Terror Judaism, which is actually make up of two parties. Uh, uh, Agoda and Degel, which have their own internal uh, uh, frictions and factions, although they've come together once again and uh, papered over them with the list. Um, New York Times actually has a has a feature story today with regard to the Haredi and COVID and how they've become. Now, the Haredi parties have, you know, once upon a time, I guess 20 years ago when we were growing up, kind of up for grabs. You know, sometimes they join with labor. Sometimes, well, there is no labor anymore. But uh, they've, uh, they've, you know, left and right. Uh, now they seem to be firmly in BB's court, in BB's corner. Um, but I guess, I mean, we can't talk about the elections and the post-elections without talking about uh, those two parties and a substantial block if you take them together um you know potentially certainly the second or third largest party potentially correct um so you know they have always been a very intriguing element to coalition building and one of the reasons you've seen bb uh, hold on to power for the last 12 almost 13 years um, uh, is because of the Haredim. Um, you know, the, the counterbalance to those parties has been Yair Lapid, who has made it clear that he doesn't want to sit with them, and they've made it clear they don't want to sit with him. Over the last few years, Lieberman has joined that camp, which, again, further created this divide where they have to be in the BB camp because the other side won't sit with them. Um, but they have lost significant influence, and this, I think, is going to be one of the very critical issues when it comes to building this next coalition because of what the public perceives as their lack of um, discipline around the COVID uh, restrictions um, has alienated groups and parties that in the past would have been supportive of them and their uh, and their leadership. So take a party like Naftali Bennett, who we, we just talked about. Um, their voters come from the national religious camp, uh, who ideologically are very close to the Haredi camp. Um, but 
you now have not only you know the historical disagreements on military service or on employment, you now throwing the COVID issue into the mix as well makes it even harder to sell them to other um, you know other parts of the public. And I think that that is something that BB is going to have to contend with when he tries to persuade Naftali Bennett and maybe some other renegades from other parties to, to come and join his coalition. Um, their, their power and their, um, I would say, the, the results that they see are fairly consistent. Um, their voters don't go elsewhere. Um, so we'll probably see them around the same numbers that they've had in the past, um, the Haredi parties. Um, but again, the way they fit into any future coalition, in my opinion, has definitely changed. I, maybe you could address for a second and maybe explain to our listening audience, which uh, is not exclusively but primarily made up of of Orthodox Jews here in America, um, what a lot of people find confusing, and actually I find confusing even, is the political trends, or I don't know, tr- trends, I guess the political scrambled egg that is the national religious camp, the Dati Lumi camp, okay? It's kind of all over the place. I mean, you actually have multiple parties uh, in the same with 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 from the United States, you have no idea what the difference is between any of them. Similarly, I really can't tell you what the difference between Gidon Saar and Likud is either, or even, let's say, blue and white, whatever. But I think, you know, as uh, as a religious party, I mean, you used to just have the Mafdal, and that was the, where it was, and now you have, right. you know, three, four, I mean, different parties right. uh, with simil- seemingly infinitesimal uh, differences between them. Um, and there's every time it seems to be reorganized. At one point, Naftali Bennett was, you know, the head of it, but that seems to be. Uh, and how much w- one would think? I guess let me just crystallize the question. One would think that the national religious community would have more of an electoral impact than uh, maybe it does, or maybe I'm, my assumption is just wrong about that. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I, I agree with your assessment, and I think that it is interesting. There's been a trend over the last probably 20 years, that has seen the cohesiveness of the national religious camp sort of dissipate. And, you know, I I moved to Israel in 1985 with my family from Los Angeles. And at the time, the religious community in Israel was divided into two. There was the national religious camp and there was a Haredi camp, and that was it. Um, And what's happened over the last 20 years or so is that the national religious camp has broken up into you know, many, many different, let's call them micro camps. Um, you have the, there's there's a group that's called the Khardal, the Haredi Datilumi, which is, um, you know, on the, you know, let's call it to the, you know, the right spectrum of the national religious camp. You have, um, you know, what, what's called in Israel Dati Light, which is, you know, very liberal or very modern um, uh, national religious camp. You have those, um, you have the, the, the Yesha crowd, the people who, um, you know, I would say that generally speaking, most of the national religious camp is supportive of Jewish settlement throughout all parts of Israel. Uh, but there are, you know, there are those who put that, you know, first, second, and third on their list. Whereas other national religious communities throughout the country um, are trying to, to to become more actively involved in the day to day of, let's call it, mainstream Israel. So they're focused more on the economy and on education. I mean, Naftali Bennett is a great example. If you look at his campaign this time around, 
Uh, and it didn't start today. It started um, actually, you know, with the uh, initial restrictions around COVID, uh, has been the economy. Uh, he is completely focused on creating jobs and um, and and ways to, um, to 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 get the local economy uh, to bounce back. And he has stayed completely away from any discussion on uh, territorial matters, on religious matters, on educational matters, etc. Uh, so there is uh, a shift, and there has been a shift for many years within the national religious camp, and we're definitely seeing that in a much greater and more pronounced way in these elections. Okay, so uh, we'll we'll wind up with this one question: Will Bibi still be prime minister after this election? <laughs> uh, and not interim prime minister. Will he be able to form a government? Right. Right. Um, that is the million dollar question. I, I, I would tell you that um, it's, it's on the one hand, the chances of him creating it, uh, creating a coalition, the chances of him getting to 61 uh, are, are, are not very large. Uh, it, they're, they're slim to tell you the truth. Um, but having said that, I don't know if there's an alternative 61. I, I you know, if I was, uh, if I was a betting man, I would say that, uh, the greatest chances are that we're going to head to a fifth election not long after that. Um, and unless, you know, unless something happens, and I can tell you, um, in Israel, you can, you always have to expect the unexpected. Um, never know what is going to happen. Last night, they announced on the news, uh, I don't know if you guys have been following this, uh, but there was, there was a secret government cabinet meeting last night. Uh, and word started to leak out that it had to do with Syria, and it was. A, and the first thing that goes through everyone's mind here in Israel before they mention Syria, right, is are we attack? Did we attack Iran? Um, is there some type? You know, was Ron Arad found in Syria? Um, there are surprises that could take place at any moment in the Middle East, and that can have uh, tremendous ramifications to the outcome of this election. You know, the, 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 the greatest example, historical example is Menachem Begin taking out the Iraqi uh, nuclear reactor in 1981, uh, just just a few weeks before he won re-election. I'm not suggesting that Bibi is going to do that, and definitely not for political reasons, but um, if nothing changes, I think we're headed to a fifth election. Uh, but in Israel, you can always expect the unexpected. Well, one thing I will not expect is to see too many billboards with Bibi and Biden in the same picture together, <laughs> given the fact that I think they still have yet to have their first phone call. Um, but I don't you know, I'm not going to opine and have you uh, have you talk about the American politics of that issue, Ari. Uh, Ari Harrow, a uh, Israel political expert, consultant and uh, longtime friend. I really appreciate you unpacking or previewing uh, the Israeli election for us here on Spin Class. Hopefully we'll have you back in the coming. Well, certainly in advance of the fifth election, maybe even in advance of the fourth <laughs> election, very possibly. Ari, thanks for joining us here on Spin last okay so in closing this week i we obviously need to note the acquittal or the not guilty finding of the u.s senate with regard to former president donald j trump who was not convicted 5743 in the u.s senate of insurrection against the United States. Seven Republicans voted for his conviction. Uh, personally, against the impeachment, I don't understand uh, how that uh, 
help the country or how it was even going to be possible, but whatever. But I do say the backlash against the Republicans who voted for it, the seven, uh, has been interesting. Not just interesting, but, uh, you know, if you feel it's a vote of conscience or whatever. But I think it's encapsulated by a statement from the Washington County, Pennsylvania Republican chairman, a gentleman named Dave Ball, who went on TV and made a well, let's say profound yet revealing statement. I'm sorry, not so profound yet revealing statement with regard to Pennsylvania Republican Senator Senator Pat Toomey, who is actually retiring, but has been a conservative stalwart. I mean, this Pat Toomey was club for growth. I mean, he incredible conservative credentials, uh, well more conservative than your average Republican politician. And Dave Ball, chairman of the Washington County Republican Party, uh, just to the southwest of Pittsburgh, PA, said, quote, we did not send him there to vote his conscience. We did not send him there to do the right thing or whatever he said he was doing. We sent him there to represent us. I guess in the United States of America in 2021, we no longer consider doing the right thing as representing us and that is a most unfortunate statement and commentary no matter what political party you are from about the state of politics in the united states of america at this point i hope it will improve that's it for this week here on spin class stay tuned for jew in the city speaks with allison josephs 